0: so far the 60s have provided the most significant cultural shift in american history decades from now we might be able to say that the decade we're currently in the middle of led to an even greater shift thanks to technological advances like cell phones and the internet leading to eventual social outcry and change but right now it's the 60s with its technological advancement of television and the truths it brought into American living rooms that led to vast social outcry and eventual change. This week we will be discussing films from 1960, films created in the 50s and released at the dawn of a new decade, a decade that would end with films so revolutionary they changed the entire industry. And at this very precipice of modern movie making, three films came out that are still considered some of the best ever made, but only one of those films was nominated for an Academy Award. Instead, of the five nominees, four were period pieces made in the typical studio system vein, four that have all but faded from collective memory. And while the winner of 1961 was by far the most modern and by far the most deserving, it still illustrates an important point to remember during this journey through Oscars history. While films can be an irreplaceable art necessary for reflecting and advancing culture, they can be slow to take up that mantle, and the Academy is even slower at recognizing them for it a freak day a weekday where well, you can be my guest but never never on a sunday a sunday the one day i need a little rest oh. hello welcome to for your reconsideration uh the podcast where we re-examine the best movie races of oscars history i'm half of the hosting team the one called Devin.
1: Uh, And I'm uh, the better half of the hosting team called Kyle.
0: Yeah, right now my hosting isn't going so well. This sentence was... Pretty terrible. Pretty terrible. Is what happens when I don't write things down. I forget how to introduce myself.
1: Yeah, you should stop staring at me. It's making me feel very uncomfortable.
0: I'm sorry, I thought we were having a conversation. Usually you look at a person... I would rather
1: you be reading off of your computer right now.
0: Well, I'm introducing (laughs) people to the... To the pocket. This is the part where we banter.
1: <laughs> oh, sorry. I didn't read I see your note. Insert witty banter. Okay. Yes. My bad. I skipped right over that.
0: Yeah, let's skip over it. So let's see. You were talking about the 1961 awards ceremony, which honored the best films of 1960. Um, we weren't there. No. Nope. Um, so, so let me tell you a little bit about what was going on in America in 1960. Please. Uh, So Dwight D. Eisenhower was the president. You knew that? Yes. Okay. So on February 1st of 1960, uh, we had the Greensboro sit-ins. In Greensboro, North Carolina, four black students from North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University began a sit-in at a segregated Woolworth's lunch counter. They were refused service, but they were allowed to stay at the counter, and it set off many similar nonviolent protests throughout the Southern United States. Six months later, the original four protesters were served lunch at that Woolworth's counter. Good for them. Yes, and then racism was solved. No. Oh. Nope. Okay. <laughs> February 29th, the first Playboy Club opened in Chicago. Did
1: you write that joke?
0: No, I just thought of it now. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, i didn't write
1: it again okay, let's just let's just maybe read the words so you yeah, have right there playboy club chicago
0: <laughs> on may 6 eisenhower signed the civil Wait, Ra- what was it about the playboy club it opened
1: oh that's it okay
0: yep it was the first one rave reviews oh i'm sure people loved it yeah according to the short-lived show on nbc it was
1: great yeah. my dad had a friend who uh his dad owned a helicopter. And so this guy had his license, too, and they uh, literally flew to the Playboy Mansion in Chicago. Well, that's the way to go. Yeah. That's From how to H- do H- it. Rockford, but yeah.
0: Wow. So on May 6th, Eisenhower signed the Civil Rights Act of 1960 into law, which was an act to stop voter suppression. On May 9th, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration announced that it would approve birth control as an ad- Additional indication of Cyril's Envoid, making it the world's first approved oral contraceptive pill. And thus, the sexual revolution was born. Free love. Okay. Do you want me to stop with the jokes?
1: <laughs> yeah, let's just see.
0: Okay. On July 11th, Harper Lee <laughs> released her critical. I'm not saying
1: record. that wasn't funny. I'm just glad there wasn't an awkward pause this time. As you were like waiting for some kind of I'm layoff. excited
0: that you keep interrupting me. <laughs> you tell me to read and then I start and then you just interrupt me. <laughs> i'll edit it out cool We're <laughs> gonna edit out an interruption <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Okay. on july 11th harper lee released her critically acclaimed novel to kill a mockingbird which is a story we'll probably be talking about in a future episode
1: is it was it nominated yeah I, you sure it should be okay <laughs> it should be oh yeah. that one of the great cinematic achievements of-
0: oh yeah. that's good have you seen it <laughs>
1: yeah, i mean yeah i like the book a lot better
0: well, sure, the book's always better.
1: Well, yeah, but I'm just saying there was nothing really great about that movie. Except for, man, uh, Bob Duvall was pretty great in it, actually. Who? Robert Duvall. Is not it? Yeah, he oh. plays Boo.
0: Does he really? I don't remember that. I probably didn't it's know like, who he was like when I saw that movie. It.
1: That is wrong. You are you, Okay, you are Italian. You saw The Godfather plenty of times before you ever saw uh, To Kill a Mockingbird.
0: I don't know who Robert Duvall even is in The Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, this, I think let's go. maybe i don't know who Robert is. <laughs> we'll figure it out by the time we talk about any of those movies
1: sounds like napalm in the morning apocalypse now i've never seen i said it smells like. Not, it, i love the smell of napalm in the morning <laughs> it, smells like,
0: it napalm. smells like napalm
1: yeah it does <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's because all the napalm okay
1: yeah
0: on september 26th 1960 the two leading u.s presidential candidates
1: richard nixon and who's the other guy
0: you got this
1: <laughs> i just kidding, jfk
0: jfk participated in the first televised presidential election debate which probably is what won jfk the election
1: shells in the npr on the anniversary of that date really yeah that's cool they mentioned that that's pretty cool too
0: on november 8th jfk was elected president of the united states he at 43 he's the youngest man ever elected president excellent um on december 5th in
1: youngest man to ever die president too i imagine
0: yeah i that would make sense yeah <laughs> yeah
1: that is a true fact
0: <laughs> that didn't happen in 1960 no that was 1963 mm-hmm. so look out for season three <laughs> we'll be talking about it all right. Um, the U.S. Supreme Court declared segregation in public transit to be illegal. And on December 12th, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld the federal court ruling that Louisiana's segregation laws were unconstitutional. So that's it. And that's December. So that was 1960. But it's like, you in know, a, a general feel of like shit was starting to happen. Yeah, you yeah, know?
1: sure.
0: There were protests. People, civil rights were becoming a thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Women were getting the pill. Yeah. Setting the stage for what was to come later Stuff's in the 60s. going down, yeah. For sure. But let's talk about what we're here to talk about. Let's talk about what happened in film in 1960. What happened? Not much. Oh, okay. Um, on, on Mar- Spoiler. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Actually, nothing happened. Okay. On March 5th, for the first time since coming home from military service in Germany, Elvis Presley returned to Hollywood to film G.I. Blues. Which does not that Feel like a long gap between whenever he was. I guess I don't know when he was in the military. I thought it was like, during was it during the Korean War?
1: Uh, I guess yeah, it must have been right. Must have been like the fifties. Yeah.
0: Well, he was back. Yeah. Should tell your story about your grandpa. No. (laughs) Okay.
1: My. (laughs) My grandpa was ordered to move some furniture out of a Hollywood studio. And Elvis Presley walked in in full uniform and salute. And, like, he was getting ready to walk over to them. And he was then ambushed by a bunch of reporters. And so he gave them a salute from the distance. That's beautiful. My grandpa. Sounds very cinematic. My grandma and grandpa are, like, like, obviously, like, they're not the biggest Elvis fans because that's a crazy. There's people who are, like, crazy Elvis fans. But, like, they love elvis probably more than anyone like if they could have like one album i'm sure it'd be an elvis album cool but yeah so that's that's a that's a good story of his
0: cool on march 28th director stanley kramer received the first star on the hollywood walk of fame oh wow and i've never have you heard of it i don't know that is. no
1: actually you know it does actually sound kind of familiar from Mm. doing research recently and i can't think of why i don't know you
0: know, I do think it's interesting that a director got the first one. I wonder if it was the same back then as it is now, where you kind of just like buy it, though. Do you know what I mean?
1: Wait, you buy stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame? Yeah. What do you mean?
0: Like anyone can get a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame if you pay money. Like,
1: it's not like what? they
0: like. There's not like a board of people deciding who gets a star. I thought like, that's how it works. No, it's like your press agent or whatever, like your people that's raise nuts. the money and then buy it for you. So that's why you'll see like a lot of people who like also like are promoting something suddenly coincides with when they Wait, get their star. So you're
1: telling me so thank you for stretching the story out longer. Um you're telling me Stanley Kramer, correct, mm-hmm. was the first person to get a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame.
0: That is what the internet told me.
1: I mean, I don't know what he did really before that. Like The Defiant Ones, that was a that was actually a a pretty um successful movie is if I if I uh understand correctly but then there's like on the beach in that year he made inherit the wind hmm. but then like it's not till like 61 you got judgment at nuremberg uh 63 it's a mad 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 world uh 67 guess who's coming to dinner so it just feels like this the star uh,
0: really inspired him to do uh, yeah i guess he's like
1: oh shit i better uh like make sure people notice this because you know what i mean i just who to you know clay movies under his belt gets a star like that's that seems odd unless i have some kind of different stanley kramer here but he's a director and his name is stanley kramer so with a K. oh no yes of course with a k how else do you spell kramer
0: you can spell it with a c
1: who who spells it with a c i don't
0: know but you could kramer sure
1: <laughs> no anyway sorry go on
0: all right Last fun fact, on November 4th of 1960, filming wrapped on The Misfits, starring Marilyn Monroe and Clark Gable, and it would be the last film for both of them. Oh, wow. Monroe, Marilyn Monroe was working on another film at the time of her death, but it never came out. All right, you want to know what the... Oh, wait, here. I'll tell you who had their film debuts in 1960.
1: The internet is telling me that Joanne Woodward got the first star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 1960.
0: Maybe they did like a bunch in 1960 okay. and his was just like the first just one. Just among the, them? Yeah. Okay. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I'm not trying to, I'm not here to question your facts.
0: I mean, that's what you're doing.
1: It just seems like they're alternative facts. If you ask I'm just me. telling
0: you what the internet tells me, okay? Okay, sorry. That's all I can do. Do you want to know who made the fir- film debut in 1960?
1: Who made their film debut in 1960? Bruce Dern. Ooh, wow.
0: Albert Finney.
1: Two actors still working today.
0: Yep. Jane Fonda and Robert Redford in the same movie. Tall story.
1: Also still going.
0: Also, and still in movies together. Yeah. They got the new movie coming out.
1: Now I need to see if Albert Finney died. But no, keep going.
0: Albert Finney didn't die. Okay, Did good. he? I don't know. Well, the only one, other one I have is Peter O'Toole.
1: Oh, he's dead. Yes. But like. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Definitely died.
1: No, but that is that is interesting. You know, what is that? 60 years ago? And we still have, you know. My math on that is even wrong. How, yeah. long, how long ago was that? 50 uh, years ago 50 years ago yeah that's crazy 57 years ago to be exact right yeah like wow those people and those people are they're just still doing awesome things you know what i mean like that's, that's true they're... that's really cool uh news update albert finney is still alive good yeah glad to hear it thank thank goodness hang in there albert was, yeah he's a good guy i like albert
0: finney all right you want to know what the top 10 films of 1960
1: were uh in box office gross or critics or what gross box office okay let's hear it
0: um number 10 from the terrace Mm. number nine please don't eat the daisies
1: okay (laughs) (laughs) that wasn't on our list no it wasn't when we watched but
0: um, (laughs) number eight oceans 11 the Mm -hmm. original
1: yeah well mm -hmm. with the rat pack yes
0: and angie dickinson i do want
1: to say for those of you uh, oceans 11 is like one of our favorite movies the remake yeah the, re- the, the Steven Soderbergh 2001 yes. remake. um I tried giving the original a chance a couple of years ago and turned it off 20 minutes in because it was the most boring fucking garbage I've ever seen. And all I've seen is like That's harsh, 10 but yeah. Okay. That's harsh, but like, it, no. Okay. Number eight? That was number eight. Oh. Number seven
0: <laughs> is Butterfield 8.
1: Okay. Number starring uh, Violet-Eyed. Elizabeth Taylor. Elizabeth Taylor, who I'm sure we'll talk about later. Uh, maybe maybe this is her one shot in this episode so <laughs> i mean i don't
0: know what to say about her unless she you want won her to best say actress she did win best actress about
1: her role in butterfield 8 which was mm-hmm. the number seven top grossing movie of 1960
0: although the thing i was reading because like i guess she had like really bad pneumonia and almost died and like some people think she only won because they thought she was gonna die
1: we know if, if i know one thing about elizabeth taylor she's a little bit dramatic okay sure but maybe she's they didn't fine. know that yet she was probably fine
0: well i don't know she had some health problems did you really well she drank a lot
1: well yeah even at that time,
0: nineteen sixty. Yeah, probably. Okay. She started out as like a child actress, so she was like fucked up. That's true. I don't know any of this. I'm just like saying things. I should probably stop oh, talking about real nah. people. Like I know I mean, anything.
1: this whole this <laughs> whole podcast is the point uh, is is us speculating. So
0: that's true. We don't have facts. Why not? We just yeah. have opinions. No. Yeah. Exactly. That should be our tagline: No facts, just, just opinions.
1: <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Number- you, know who, you know who else that could be said for? Mm-hmm. Our president.
0: Yeah, but like he doesn't he's not upfront about it. He's like, These are facts. We're like, these are not facts. <laughs> these well, are just opinions.
1: I don't want to narrow our audience, so
0: it's narrowed. <laughs> <laughs> uh the number six top grossing movie of the year was the best picture winner, the apartment. Number five was The Alamo. Number four, Swiss Family Robinson. Uh number three, Exodus. Number two, Psycho. Hmm. And the number one movie of 1960 was Spartacus.
1: Interesting. I really thought those last two would have been flipped.
0: You thought Psycho would be number one?
1: Yeah. Just because it was a phenomenon. You know what I mean? Sure. That's what everybody always talks about, but.
0: I guess people had a lot more time to spare because they're like, let's go see this three hour long movie. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Okay. On to the actual ceremony for Best Picture. I'm trying to bring up the enthusiasm. So, some fun facts about the ceremony itself. So, like I said before, The Apartment won Best Picture, and it was the last black and white film to win Best Picture until 1993's Schindler's List. And then the next one after that was The Artist. So, this is like the last, the last three movies to black and white movies to win Best Picture. Cool. Also, um, at the ceremony, Haley Mills became the last recipient of the Academy Juvenile Award for her performance in Pollyanna. Um, After that, the Academy retired the award and young actors became eligible to compete in the competitive acting categories with adults.
1: Interesting. Okay. Mm
0: -hmm. But before they they had their own stuff going on. Which I actually feel like might be better. I don't know.
1: I mean, I'm going to say it's better.
0: That they have their own category? Yeah, this isn't
1: the People's Choice Awards. Like, we don't need a Best Child Actor of the Year. You know what I'm saying?
0: So you're saying it's better that they just compete with adults?
1: Yeah. Okay. It's the profession, not the age.
0: Sure. That's true. Fair enough. All right, let's talk about these movies. So the first movie nominated for Best Picture that we're going to talk about.
1: I will say, though, it would have been nice to see Jacob Tremblay get an award the Year of Room.
0: Yeah, he should have just been nominated and beat Like, Leonardo he Cabrio. would have beat Leo
1: if he was nominated, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, because that... Look, I don't want to get into that whole thing because I have feelings about it. About what? About how he shouldn't have won for that movie because that movie was terrible.
1: Devin, <laughs> pump the brakes. You I, didn't
0: like it either. I
1: just, I, uh, yeah, but I'm not trying to upset all of our audience today.
0: I'm just saying, look... In many other episodes, we're going to talk about other Leonardo DiCaprio movies where he was fantastic. I and think he deserved an Oscar. I think he was good in this
1: movie. Yeah, I didn't really he care for the good, movie. He, he was won good it in for it.
0: for his previous work. He didn't win it for I, Revenant. He won it for everything else. I absolutely agree
1: with that. I do agree with that.
0: They were like, "We get it. You want an Oscar? We'll just give it to you." Soon. But Jacob
1: Tremblay should have one hundred percent got it. Jacob Tremblay
0: was amazing. He one hundred percent carried a was. movie. Yeah, he was the lead of that movie.
1: Yeah. Anyway
0: anyway back to 1960 and the sundowners by fred Zinneman. i hope that's how you pronounce his last name it's it's like cinnamon but with a z yeah I, I think you're right i think you're right that's how i'm gonna pronounce it you want to know what it's about here's Who a mean? synopsis oh,
1: i know what it's about no you know what actually i don't
0: <laughs> in australia's outback during the earliest th- i can't talk just i'm gonna give you a pause and then i'm gonna start it over In Australia's outback during the early 20th century, the impoverished Carmody family lives a nomadic life out of their wagon, but the mom and son want to settle while the dad is against it. You knew that's what it was about.
1: I mean, yeah. That's all it happened. I just yawned listening to you describe that movie.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm going to tell you some fun facts about it. Okay. It was based on a novel of the same name by John Cleary, who has a cameo in the film as the man trying to buy the racehorse at the end of the movie. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, the definition of sundowner given in the film is not the most common one used in Australia. Um, so in the movie, I guess they say that it's someone whose home is wherever the sun goes down. Yeah. I believe is the explanation yeah, yeah. they give. But the actual term in Australia means, um, is used for a swag man. That man. That. I don't know. I guess it's like a, a, like a, like a vagrant. Okay. Who arrived at a homestead slash farm just at sundown, in time to ask for a meal or food, but too late to be asked to do any work. Ah. And then he would depart early in the morning before anyone else was up, before being asked to do any work.
1: Exactly. So he's just he's just getting by. He's just
0: getting the food, but not
1: helping. On warm Christian hearts.
0: Yeah. Uh. So Fred Zinneman decided to make the film at the suggestion of Dorothy Hammerstein is Oscar Hammerstein's wife. She was um aus- from Australia and she intended to send him a copy of the novel The Sheerley but accidentally sent a copy of The Sundowner instead. So he made that into a movie. Wow. She's like, "I got a book that'd make a good movie." And then she he sent she sent him the wrong one and he was like, "Okay, I'll make that."
1: That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, it seems easy. That's probably what he thought.
0: <laughs> He's like, "Nothing happens in this book, but I guess I'm make it into a movie." I'm mean. being I'm being mean. Okay. Jack Warner, because this is a Warner Brothers picture. Jack Warner wanted the film shot in Arizona, but Zinneman insisted on filming in Australia. He ended up shooting scenery and sheep herding for 12 weeks before the cast arrived. And then
1: <laughs> once they did- He get was out there for three months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> shooting. Dude, this guy just, well, he wanted a vacation and he, he used Jack Warner's money to pay for it. That's He's crazy. Like, I got to
0: film the entire herding from one place to another. Oh my
1: god. Jack, you don't understand. They only <laughs> heard eight months out of the year. I gotta be there. Capture <laughs> it.
0: Once the cast did arrive, the weather shifted and delayed filming for several more weeks. Wow. So it was like beautiful weather the whole time he was just filming sheep. And then the cast got there and it rained nonstop for like weeks. Oh that's crazy. Yeah. Um the film was a financial failure in the US. However, it reached the top 10 in the UK and was the third highest grossing film of 1961 in
1: Australia. Oh cool. So yeah. I'm oh, again. You're Damn, still young. Just thinking about this movie.
0: So why don't you start with your thoughts on The Sundowners?
1: I honestly, okay, my thoughts are and this is I don't mean to sound mean. I just think we should not spend too much time talking about this movie. I'm glad we talked about it first. We can just get it out of the way. Uh, it's a movie set in Australia. Features it does feature some very beautiful shots, uh, scenery yeah. of Australia.
0: Lots well. of cool shots of sheep.
1: Lots, of very cool shots of sheep. Uh, got a, the my favorite part is there is this sheep shearing competition and Mm -hmm. because that's my favorite part like you can see how ridiculous this movie is so i
0: like the sheep shearing.
1: i did i mean it was fine it was fine but i'm just saying like that is the only stakes that this movie gave uh and yeah it wasn't a big deal um so yeah it's about a guy who doesn't want to settle down he likes he likes the life he but you know and his wife agreed to it at one point but obviously people change and she wanted more of the typical she uh, wanted a fam- house. Yeah, family lifestyle, and so did her son. And he was the only one. He looked like a jerk for a while, and then he was like a nice guy. Then he came a jerk again, and then he was nice. It nothing happened in this movie, and I'm a, I'm am i f- a, I'm a fan of slow movies. I am. This just it felt like a waste of time, and maybe I'm being too harsh. It just felt like uh, you mean you you already said it. He made it accidentally. <laughs> I would I wish I wish she would have just sent the right book do you know what i mean
0: well that was also made into a movie at some point
1: okay so. but uh yeah i mean it's it's fine it's fine it's just wow i i, I don't know i don't know tell you the year psycho came out and like some people like you know the same people went to both movies you know sure and
0: <laughs> well probably more people went to psycho
1: <laughs> yeah more people i mean we know that by the box office but uh yeah <laughs> You know, it's just, it's just weird. That's all I can say. I don't know.
0: Um,
1: it was a weird year, 1960, in, in film. I'm just going to say that. That's all.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't like... Well, I disagree with the... How fiercely you said the things that she said. I do agree that it is a movie where not much happens. It's kind of... You know, they're just living their lives. That kind of thing. I think the performances are really good. It stars Robert Mitchum and Deborah Kerr as the as the parents and I think both of them give a really good performance, especially like Deborah Kerr's performance. Um I'm going to read you what Bosley Crowther, the film critic at the New York Times, wrote in his review okay. of The Sundowners because I think it kind of like it agrees with what you said, but it like puts a different Okay. Light I'd love on to it. hear it. So he said, quote, what is nice about these people and valid about this film is that they have an abundance of freshness, openness, and vitality. The action scenes are dynamic, the scenes of driving sheep, shearing them, racing horses at a genuine Bush County country track, and simply living happily in the grand sky-covered outdoors, and the scenes of human involvement, those between the husband and the wife of a woman having a baby, of a footloose housewife looking at a stove, are deeply and poignantly revealing of how good and sensitive people can be
1: sure cool. it was about good people making the best out of a very rugged situation
0: mm-hmm. and i liked the relationship between um robert richmond depper kerr just because like he could have easily just been like some like dick who didn't care about his family like he cared very much about his family he loved his wife it wasn't like he was cheating on her or anything like mm-hmm. fact, he just y- wanted to live this life with them
1: yes you know he had his way of life, and he expected them to just go along with it. And I think mm-hmm. it put him in an awkward situation when they didn't want to do that. And it's just because he was just—it's like the he had the rug pulled out from under him, right? Because he it. was
0: like, "This is what we both agreed to do." Yeah, you're the one who's suddenly changing. Like I was upfront
1: about what I wanted. Exactly. It's just he—he's a guy stuck. He's—he's he's a stubborn man. But in the end, they then,
0: he got his way because they didn't get the house, and they just like it ended with them just like riding off to wherever else in their wagon.
1: Yeah, but. And you knew but you knew they were still gonna have settling on their mind. Like Probably. this situation didn't work out, but they were gonna
0: they were gonna make it work. There was gonna be do.
1: more of this story.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's what I would say it was a <clears throat> it's a nice film. It's not a film that I think anyone like needs to see to really fill out their like film history knowledge, but
1: Yeah, no, that that's that's very true. And I'm not trying to attack the movie anymore. It's just it is like a unimportant film when looking back at you know with mm-hmm. what we're doing
0: yeah no i agree um so we're spend too much time in it. i'll just let you know the rotten tomato audience score is 62 percent a critic score 78 okay. percent so yeah middle feels little fair little. um it's not really named to any lists of best movies um it was named to top 10 lists of the year by various news outlets in 1960 okay um, and then on AFI's list of the 100 greatest stars, Robert Mitchum was ranked at number 23. Okay. Here's the thing which I just found out. That list of the 100 greatest legends or whatever they call it, like to be on that list, you had to have made your film debut prior to 1950, apparently. Okay. So just a caveat to the people that are on that list. Sure. Um, at the box office, it made $3.8
1: And I just want to say like... uh. Sorry, I know I spoke very negatively of it, but, you know, I don't know what I'm trying to do now. Okay. I was going to try to say something. Anyway, I think it's very interesting that uh, Mr. Zinneman spent three months shooting sheep. That's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. That's probably a lot of unused sheep
1: footage. Yeah, on Jack Warner's dime. It just, it puts a smile on my face.
0: (laughs) Jack Warner had to pay for him to shoot sheep. Yes, for three
1: months. (laughs) There's no way he needed that much fucking time.
0: No. There was a very long montage of sheep herding though yeah like that didn't need to go on as long as it did except that he probably had so much sheep footage he was like i have to use at least yeah, like, like,
1: like jack's stuff. gonna be pissed if this isn't covered <laughs> in like, sheep there footage. Be so much fucking yeah. sheep in
0: this film Ooh, not fucking sheep that was bad choice of words
1: <sighs> no that's sheep fucking you're referring to <laughs> yep. fucking Ugh. sheep is not bad wait the way i said that okay wait hold <laughs> on Fucking sheep is bad, but... Pull n- a quote from the, yeah. <laughs> this episode. <laughs> Fucking sheep is not bad. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so, Sons and Lovers.
0: Sons and Lovers by Jack Cardiff. A young man with artistic talent who lives in a close-knit English coal mining town during the early 20th century finds himself inhibited by his emotionally manipulative domineering mother seems like a fair synopsis to me
1: yeah actually that that kind of hits it on the nose
0: let me tell you a little bit about it it was a british film adaptation of the d.h lawrence 1913 novel of the same name the novel by lawrence is highly biographical the character of miriam was based on lawrence's friend jesse chambers um, who was deeply hurt by lawrence's treatment of her after they hooked up as well as her portrayal in the eventual novel and after the book was published, they never spoke again. Wow. This is my bait favorite bit of of fact.
1: Okay. <laughs> I
0: didn't know how to finish my sentence. Okay. Lawrence, the guy who wrote the book, his eventual wife said that she and Lawrence talked about Oedipus and the effects of early childhood on later life within 20 minutes of meeting. Ooh. She married him. <laughs> okay. Wow. Uh, Jack Carediff, the director of the film chose to film in black and white as he felt that Technicolor was too pretty for such a gritty subject okay. Just letting you know what he said that's fine um, at 20 minutes and 14 seconds Trevor Howard's performance in this movie is the shortest to ever be nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actor in a Leading Role
1: who's Trevor Howard? he the played dad? the dad okay yeah
0: yeah he was nominated as a lead actor he was on screen for 20
1: minutes that's awesome okay he was very good
0: he was very good um, what do you think of Sons and Lovers?
1: I thought it was fine. Um Yeah, I don't to say, uh Black and White was an interesting choice. It certainly looked beautiful. It did um, look really good. Yeah, I was a fan of that. Um I believe that so one best cinematography, black and white. Started off with in one kind of you started you thought it was gonna be one type of movie, and then it certainly just spiraled into a different type of movie, in my opinion. Um I just thought it was gonna be about this like young artist he's different he has to suffer and take care of his family that's not at all what happens well I mean it is I guess kind of what happens but then it's more about him thinking he's a poet and falling in love or not falling in love and experimenting sexually because he's got a weird mother complex and like definitely not what I expected from this movie by any means but it, it it was at the end of the day it was fine um performances were you know the mom and the dad were really good yeah that's about all i can really speak to uh the lead was like okay but his character i don't think was ever grounded in any sort of reality very just very just it seemed like stream of conscious like blabbering but not in like a good not a good way if there is a good way. <laughs> I going to say, not like a, good a Jack Kerouac way, to... way, but like in a... Yeah. And I can't... I'm just going to speak every thought that goes through my head and not just... And like not worry about offending er- those people around me, like Emotionally yeah i'm just gonna i'm doing this for me like he was he was so selfish at the end of the day that it went he was incredibly selfish and uninteresting is my biggest problem he was very uninteresting there's like when it started off in this movie was about him like being an artist and he's coming from this coal mining town in england and he's like it seems like he's gonna make it out and do something special with his life but then he's not able to do that he has to his brother is killed in a mining accident and he's got to like help the family with money and that kind of thing.
0: Didn't, they tell him to go to school. That's what I'm saying.
1: He, like he chooses, like nothing he did. I don't know. It's just, and that's, I guess, an unselfish act in a way. It was really just, but yeah, because they were happy when he stayed. His mom was. All, his dad was probably like, "You oh, can leave." Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> I'd like my wife back. Thanks. Yeah.
1: Right. Oh, it just turned into like a mother movie, and it was so awkward and
0: yeah you know like when i was watching it i was like this has to be based on like real events like and so like when i read that it was based it's based on a novel but that novel is like very close to what the author actually lived like his relationship okay. with his mother and his young life yeah, and blah, blah, yeah. Blah. i'm like yeah it clearly had to be based on like true things because i just feel like to you know modern sensibilities we can like see something like that and we see like the oedipus complex or like the weird just like the very strange relationship with the mother and the way that that like i just feel like some of the things came across that didn't just because they were true they ended up in the final product that like maybe the author or the filmmaker whatever like didn't even realize what they were including in a way yeah because i really feel like you know from what i was reading about dh lawrence He like hated his father and like thought that he was just like a loser and his mother, you know, deserved better and blah, blah, blah. But I'm like in this movie, the dad um, to me comes across as like the only sympathetic character. in this Amen.
1: Absolutely.
0: And so I'm like, I don't know if that is something that like the filmmaker felt too. And so that's the way it was included or if it just like happened. It just like showed up because that's what the truth of it is. Do you know what I mean?
1: That's interesting. No, 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 for sure. I mean. I'm guessing that the novel plays a much more sympathetic role towards the main character, if that's Probably, what th- if since that's how the author truly felt, yeah. exactly. But like in the interpretation, I think the director definitely made a choice there. Yeah, you know, it's almost like I don't know, like any sort of just shooting down any sort of like counterculture ideas for young young boys or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It just says like weird. A weird take on young love like i get like it's a like it's basic thing of like love fades you know like the mom talking about how in love she was with the dad when they first were young and then yeah. whatever but i'm like it's just such like a weird interpretation of that with the whole mother relationship That i'm just like i don't know i don't know if they knew how weird this even was in 1960
1: that's what i mean was it not weird did did people stay at home longer typically you know, back then, and I don't. You know, I don't yeah. know. I I really can't speak to it, but certainly. Oh my god, the tension, the sexual tension between the mother and the son was just too much. It was, a lot. It was a lot. Also, guys, you know what? I would recommend this movie just to see how this guy kisses, because it is it is quite the it scene. Is
0: terrifying. He
1: attacks women with his lips. Yeah. Like, it is crazy to watch. It looks and like it, he's trying to devour faces. And it, it never changes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, 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 it does look exactly like he's trying to eat them. Like, he is on some fucking bath salts. Uh, but...
0: Doesn't look sexy.
1: And they're into it. Or, yeah, or, women all over the place. Like, is it a character choice? Was the actor just... It, Not it, know how to kiss. ...ill-experienced? But, like, someone should have said something if it wasn't...
0: Well, I think part of the problem is they weren't really kissing. It was, like, a fake hollywood kiss but they didn't like try to in any way make it oh, look like, like how people kiss
1: oh have you ever like kissed so hard that like you clanked teeth yeah because just like it's it's like nails on a chalkboard for me i'm like he's doing it i'm just like oh uh. yeah there's
0: no way their teeth weren't like mashing oh. against
1: each other it's, it's literally making me cringe
0: it's rough it's rough i would say try to find a clip of that on youtube don't watch the whole movie just for that <laughs>
1: fair it's another one you know and and i think again this is another fine movie but not essential in this year or
0: you know sorry i don't mean it It no seems like you're done um i do think it's interesting you know like when i was talking about all the like weird cultural changes that were starting even in 1960 Mm -hmm. um and it was there was a lot of race stuff obviously going on but there was also you know with the pill and blah, blah blah and like all of these movies i feel like Hints on that so much harder. Like, we're not. This one isn't hinting. It's like full on. Like, we're all having sex. It's fine, you know. Yeah. And I be like, all of these movies are very like open about non-married people having sex, for better or worse, you know. But um, sure,
1: they never show anything, but it's 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 implied it's, and stylistically it's like, too, which is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, like flat out stated in a lot yeah. of
1: cases. Sure.
0: And you know, I just think like that's interesting that that's like the track that movies were going on. They're like, oh, we're gonna appeal to young people by like showing sex. You know what I mean? Yeah, Not they're, go- showing they're sex, going to but, the like, drive-ins. They're addressing they're
1: it. They're getting horny anyway. Like, what's? Why yeah. do we need to shy away from that? You know?
0: I just think it's like an interesting like trend to see in all these movies. And I think that sure. Sons and Lovers obviously has a lot of it because he, um, he's like the original fuckboy, Essentially, he just like hooks up with his best friend and then is like. Mm, that was terrible. We've ruined our friendship. I can never see yeah. you again.
1: Yeah, there's no point in even, it's never going to be the same. Yeah, bye. and she's like, wait,
0: what? No, but we can try again. He's like, okay, well, bye then. Yeah. I'm going to go hook up with this married lady.
1: Yeah, because I, th- I think I'm into married women. I think I've always been into married women in a way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then she like runs into him again, and he's just like, yeah, still no. Yeah. Still a hard no for me, but good to see you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, he sucked. Okay. I don't want to spend too much time talking about this. So let me let you know. Rotten Tomato audience score of 54%. It's a failing grade. And a critic score of 75%. It's never been named on anyone's list of anything. <laughs> and um the box office this is for US and Canada. It made 1.5 million. Huh. That's not great. Between two countries. No. Okay. You like it. Next up, Elmer Gantry. Hey, I like what? The, they made $1.5 million.
1: Oh. Not the movie. Oh, okay.
0: Elmer Gantry by Richard Brooks. Synopsis. A fast-talking, traveling salesman with a charming, loquacious manner convinces a sincere evangel. Ev- I can't say that word. Evangelical? Evangelist? Evangeli- evangelist. Evangelist.
1: Evangelist evangelist
0: wait what is it evangelist Evangelist. i'm gonna start over
1: <laughs> i'm leaving it in so you might as well not
0: synopsis <laughs> a fast-talking traveling salesman with a charming loquacious manner convinces a sincere evangelist <laughs> i feel like loquacious is so close to it and i get like stressed stop saying about loquacious
1: lo- you don't even need to skip the loquacious word A fast talking. Jeez. You want me to read it?
0: No. A fast talking (laughs) traveling salesman with a charming manner convinces a sincere evangelist that he can be an effective preacher for her cause. Well done. Thank you. You're welcome. Cut out all of that. Okay. It's based on the 1927 novel of the same name by Sinclair Lewis. However, less than 100 pages of the novel were presented in the film and the character of sharon falconer was drastically changed but all of that was done with lewis's blessing and perhaps suggestion uh, when he heard that brooks was looking to adapt his book he told him to read the criticisms and use them to improve the story
1: cool that's interesting take from an author
0: yeah he was like make it better So, like essentially from what i was reading like the part that the movie is is literally just like the middle of the book so oh, okay. they like left off like his whole like when he was young and then like left off a whole thing about afterwards okay um so brooks the director described the story he said quote elmer gantry is the story of a man who wants what everyone is supposed to want money sex and religion he's the all-american boy which i thought was like an interesting jumping off point okay Just talking about this movie go ahead okay <laughs> um I liked it a lot more than you did, I know, because you hated it. I don't like the way you're staring at me right now. Sorry. No, I thought it was very interesting. Um, It stars Burt Lancaster um, as Alamark Gantry. And um, I do think it's interesting because, you know, like what he was saying, it's like whatever everyone is supposed to want money and sex and religion. And then he gets all those things essentially, but like none of it is, you know what I mean? He's not, he like walks away from it too like the power that he gets and all that kind of stuff but i just think it's an interesting take on religion especially in 1960 because it's really showing it as um like a money-making endeavor more than anything else i think that you're left to your own interpretations for a lot of it uh, and like the way that i view it but again i think it's one of those movies that you bring in your own feelings about religion when watching it so maybe you can like um project that onto the story in a way too because i mean obviously i think that i think like the way that i read it is that the character of elmer gantry did believe in god he didn't believe in religion and like that was all just a show he was just being a salesman and selling god to these people but i don't think that took away from him believing in an actual god i just think that he was like yeah yeah whereas i think i do think sharon falconer was um believed more than he did I think she thought that what they were doing like really was talking to God or like whatever you know what I mean I don't think she was like trying to just get money but I also so like the thing like this is a movie like I have to say that I like it just because it's a movie that I was left thinking about for a long time after we watched it mostly because of the ending so I like want to ask what you think of the ending because like the thing that confuses me about it is because I feel like The whole movie, to a certain extent, is about how these revivalist tents and that kind of stuff were all just, like, you know, they were fake or whatever. And it was just, like, to make money. But then at the end, when Sharon Falconer has, like, her real church, and then that man is deaf, and she, like, heals him, was that real? Like, did she really heal his deafness? Because it seems like... They're playing it like it was real, and then she, like, believes that God has really spoken to her, and that's why she's not going to leave when there's fire and blah, blah, blah. But that just seems like such a definitive take to say, like, she really did heal him with the power of God.
1: Yeah. Um, Like, the movie's taking a completely different stance than it has this entire time. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that is one of the more interesting aspects of the movie because it doesn't answer it whether it happened or not. Right. Right. I personally don't think it did. See, that was my just first instinct too. J- well, so your first, it's not your last then, huh?
0: Well, that, yeah, go ahead.
1: Well, I was just going to say like, I haven't been a part of an evangelist per se, uh, revival like this, but I've been in a similar situation where I have, I know, <laughs> uh, where i called bullshit on it all like you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it felt that people got i don't know endorphins or they were like they just had you know adrenaline pumping or whatever or they had like an agenda in mind and didn't feel this and i'm not saying like i I didn't believe at the time it's just like as in had religion but some of the stuff that people were doing is just it's i don't know I call fooey like, I think that this was still a time of like building her back up, as far as like what happened in the events mm. of the film, and I think mm-hmm. someone. I don't think she so knew you don't about. Think it. She knew. Okay. No, no, no. I don't think she knew about it, but I think it was a plant. It was a plant by.
0: See, that's interesting. I like that because I at first I was like, well, that has to be if that has to be fake, and I also I think. Maybe I was, like, more interested in this whole concept just because, like, it kind of coincided when I had just listened to a three-part podcast about um, Jonestown and Jim Jones. And he started out doing this kind of yeah. um, evangelist he- faith healing and whatever. And he used plants and stuff like that. So, um, which means someone faking an injury that then magically gets healed, just in case anyone knows not, like, house plants, But, um... <laughs> um so yeah like that was my first but i like i like your your point that it could be both like she really thought that she had healed him through god yeah but like her manager or whatever maybe even elmer like put him there
1: yeah
0: i think that makes the most sense
1: like again she had no idea because then she was, she was so was convinced
0: that god was working through her, she wouldn't exactly. even leave the place when it was burning down around
1: exactly her. which is which is know, crazy someone else's fault completely and it, that's yeah. true
0: Which could also be why he just walks away, even though they, like, offer him all the power that she had had. Yeah. So, I think it's interesting. I do think, like, I think my favorite... I think Burt Lancaster did a very good job, and he did win the Best Actor Oscar for this role. And I did think he was good, at you know, when he was doing the preaching and whatever else, when he, like, would turn it on and be the salesman. He had that down. But... Uh, my favorite performance was Shirley Jones, who played um, a former girlfriend of his turned sex worker, who then tries to like catch him, like prove that he's, you know, a phony and blah, blah, blah and yeah. then has a change heart. She was my favorite performance and she won Best Supporting Actress. But I also feel like that whole storyline was like. Had nothing to do with what the rest of the movie was about. Yeah, it was
1: certainly like a distraction right in the middle. Yeah, it was well, just like no, that's not true though. Like it threatened, it put stakes. It was in the, the game. only thing that put stakes in the yeah, movie. Yeah.
0: But it was also just like, but then it was resolved so quickly of her just being like, "Oh, I do love you. Never mind." Yeah. yeah. Like what? <laughs> no, he's a dick. Like I don't understand.
1: Yeah.
0: <sighs> but yeah, here's a fun. So she won best supporting actress for playing a sex worker, and Elizabeth Taylor won best actress for also playing a sex worker so it was just
1: yeah what's the butterfield eight about
0: um a sex worker
1: is it like a butterfield is like the name of the house and there's eight girls
0: no butterfield eight is like it's um the you know how they're like party lines it's something to do with like a phone number of how you would like call
1: really that's interesting
0: it's like the city and then the line number or something i don't know i didn't watch it because it wasn't nominated for best picture yeah um so yeah i feel like do you have anything else you want to say about Elmer Gantry? Nah. Okay. It has a Rotten Tomato audience score of 86%, a critic score of 96%. Wow. Uh, it hasn't really been named to any best of list, but on the AFI list of the 100 greatest stars, Burt Lancaster is ranked at number 19 mm-hmm. for male stars. That and Robert Mitchum. Yeah. And then um. On the box office, for this is again for U.S. and Canada, it was 5.2 million.
1: Cool, cool, cool. Was it a popular book like I mean Sinclair Wrote it like 30 years before or whatever At this point but
0: it was it caused Like because it came out you know yeah in like 1927 which was a little closer to when All the revivalism was happening anyway I think it was like a lot um, con- More controversial In 1927 like it was banned And people were like you know it's Saying God doesn't exist And like blah 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 so okay okay Yeah It was more controversial then than it, The movie was in 1960 Next up, we got... Well, we didn't forget. We almost forgot. What? The Alamo.
1: Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> directed by John Wayne.
1: The Duke himself.
0: The Duke himself directed this movie. Don't repeat me. Um, In case you don't remember The Alamo, let me tell you what this movie's about. <laughs> I'm going to make so many Alamo jokes. I hope you guys are ready. Okay.
1: Because <laughs> The Alamo is really something to joke about.
0: <laughs> um, You haven't even been there. I've been there. Even worse. It's... Literally, it's just the same joke over and over again about remembering the Alamo. I don't know.
1: I'm saying a lot of people died that day.
0: Yeah, that's why we have to remember it.
1: But You're okay.
0: I'm not saying fuck the people that died at the Alamo. <laughs> I'm saying remember the Alamo. I
1: hear fuck all those people every time you make a remember. Just joke. John Wayne. Oh.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's stand by that. <laughs> In 1836, a small band of soldiers sacrificed their lives in hopeless combat against a massive army in order to prevent a tyrant from smashing the new Republic of Texas. So John Wayne directed this movie. He began working on the idea in 1945. Wow. He hired James Grant to write the script, but before the script could be completed, Wayne had a falling out with the president of Republic Pictures over the proposed $3 million budget. That's three million dollars in 1945. Um, he left Republic over the feud, but the studio retained the rights to the script, which was later reworked and made into the Last Command in 1955.
1: Okay. Um. So he had to start over from scratch. Yeah, he had to start break.
0: over from scratch. Like hire new. He had to raise the money. Himself. Like essentially, the original he,
1: story he wanted to tell was told.
0: Yeah, they already they made the move. Wow. in 1955. Maybe it's better. Who knows? This is my favorite. Fact about any movie that I've ever looked up for this podcast. Okay. All right. Alamo historian Timpathy, Timothy Tottish, <laughs> Timothy Tadish. Timothy Tadish said, "Quote: There is not a single scene in the Alamo which corresponds to a historically verifiable incident." End quote. And historians J. Frank Doby and Lon Tinkle demanded that their names be removed as historical advisors.
1: Real, what would they do then if like were they just told no on set all the time well thank you for your input but uh we're gonna they we're, like, so this we're gonna happened, do it my way like,
0: cool we're gonna do something different
1: so do you think they just uh let these women go by them then <laughs> uh no there's way no that. way uh, I, th- I think that they would have you know still been attacking and not okay well the script says that they st- <laughs> so we're just we're just gonna go with that then okay
0: I think that's probably how it went yeah cool <laughs> um, Wayne's daughter I- Asa A-I-S-S-A well, sure whatever his daughter wrote quote I think making the Alamo became my father's own form of combat More than an obsession, it was the most intensely personal project in his career, end quote. Um, Many of his friends and colleagues agreed that the film was a political platform for Wayne, and many of the statements that his character made reflected Wayne's anti-communist views. He was very anti-communist. Okay. Um, Though the film did well at the box office, it didn't come close to covering the cost of the film. Um, John Wayne had ended up using a lot of his personal money to make the film because he had a giant budget and every studio was like, no. Nah. So he he produced it himself and he didn't earn back his money until the television rights were sold in
1: 1971.
0: Holy crap! Mm-hmm. So, um, bringing this back to the Oscars, despite mixed to negative critical response, The Alamo was nominated for seven Academy Awards thanks to an aggressive campaign from John Wayne. However, that same type of aggressive campaign led to alienation among Academy voters. Specifically, an ad placed in Variety by Best Supporting Actor nominee Chill Wills that claimed... (laughs) "That's I know, it's a crazy name. It's a great name. uh, ...that claimed the movie's cast was praying harder for Will's win than the defenders of the Alamo prayed for their lives before the battle.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah. Wayne was so outraged by the ad that he took out his own ad... In Variety, denouncing Will's tastefulness, tastelessness.
1: Who is Will's?
0: He played like the drunk guy.
1: Hilarious. Yeah, that guy was great, though.
0: I mean, was he like Best Supporting Actor? Good. I mean, place. as much as
1: what the dad from Sons and Lovers, you know.
0: No, I disagree because I liked the dad in Sons that's and ch- Lovers. I didn't ch- like that's
1: this fair. Game. That's fair. I liked. I liked him.
0: That's a pretty bad ad to take out though for your Oscar campaign. That's
1: ridiculous. <laughs> Poor taste.
0: And you thought I was making tasteful tasteless Almo
1: jokes. Yeah, you're right.
0: I keep saying tasteful and I mean tasteless, and that's a big difference. Huge. It's the opposite. Huge. Really. <laughs> Let me tell you what I thought of the Alamo. Hated it. Um your turn. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'll say more. <laughs> First of all, it's like seven hours long. <laughs>
1: It is not.
0: It's so long.
1: It's, what is it? Three hours and 20 minutes?
0: Yeah, it's like over three hours long.
1: Or two hours and 40 minutes?
0: It's like seven hours long.
1: I'm going to look it up while you talk about it.
0: Okay, so here's here's the thing. Like, not only was it too long, there was an entire subplot that did not need to exist. This whole movie is just supposed to be out about the Alamo. The Battle of the Alamo, you know, the reasons behind it. Like, all of that is an interesting enough story And then they just like add in this weird side thing where there's like a woman that John Wayne is trying to get with, who's like with some abusive guy, like literally all that stuff had zero impact on anything. Like it did not need to be included at all, except that like John Wayne was in charge. So no one told him no. Like what point did that storyline serve for the actual movie?
1: I mean she let them know where the like gunpowder and bullets were and stuff.
0: It it didn't matter. So they
1: could arm the city cuz she was like the resident of this of uh San Junaparno.
0: I don't think that's what it
1: was called. So. <laughs> Whatever it was, you know. <laughs> I don't remember. <sighs> Just like the Alamo, right, Devin? What? I don't remember. The, the Alamo? Alamo.
0: Yeah, I, don't remember. I remember.
1: Uh, it was two hours and 47 minutes, by the way. Also the runtime of Blade Runner 2049. which Yeah, you but that was know. interesting. Um, okay. I liked it.
0: I know you did because you're crazy. <laughs> I was just...
1: I went in with such a low bar that I don't think it took a lot to... I went uh, in
0: with a low bar and then it was like under it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know. I had, I had... It was a fun old Western. You know what I mean? Like, that's how I, I like Westerns, it. I like Westerns. That's my problem. See, so yeah. You don't like Westerns at all. I thought... Like... I did not know how John Wayne was going to be as a director. Like he's already kind of shoddy as an actor, so. <laughs> but I thought I thought he did fine. I didn't. The subplot you're talking about, I didn't particularly mind it. Um, okay, I really enjoyed like, it. What? Like, it didn't serve. There was purpose. a lot of good character development. I cared about these people.
0: What? He was Davy frickin' Crockett. You're going to care about him anyway.
1: I know, but I cared about. I actually like really enjoyed John Wayne in that role. Like I i was all about it like i really i really enjoyed the movie i wouldn't say like i loved it like love is a strong word but i like surprisingly liked it i wouldn't i'll never watch it again
0: no i'll
1: never it won't happen but i did enjoy it i did i wasn't bored
0: oh so boring
1: i thought it was pretty cool i thought the acting was pretty good no the cinematography was great well the landscapes were awesome. The, the set, the, the set was awesome.
0: Yeah, they like actually like built a little. Don't fake bring out.
1: John Ford into this. I'm
0: just laying know the rumors.
1: Supposedly, John Ford shot some stuff. Supposedly. I mean, I bet he did, and that's fine. That's absolutely fine. Yeah, but he didn't shoot the whole movie.
0: No, but I also think that like, <laughs> what was the joke I made when we were watching it? That John, that John Wayne, like the old, the direction that he probably always got as an actor was to like. Be bigger, yeah, be bigger. So that was like the only direction he gave his actors. <laughs> yeah. So then everyone else is at like a level twelve, and he's sure. still at, like a John Wayne
1: level. You know, I said I liked the performances. I didn't so much, I guess, like the performances necessarily, but I I did enjoy the characters. Like, I I like the roles that these people played. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. we had the drunk, which we mentioned already. We had uh Boone, or not Boone, Bowie, Bowie, who was Bowie, oh, Bowie, Bowie. Bowie yeah. it's like Bowie, Bowie knife, yeah. Yeah, it's not David Bowie. So. <laughs> that uh, would've been cool. But, yeah, we have Bowie, who was was honestly very interesting. I love how he's, he's, like, slept through everything. He was, like, it just, I don't know. Yeah. I enjoyed that they gave this major event, and they they put these, like, real human characters you could identify with. You've seen before, like, these tropes. Like, sure, they're tropes. Yeah, and, like, nothing they did was apparently historically accurate. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, because maybe no one remembers exactly what happened. Well, because they're all dead. Who's going to tell you (laughs) what happened? It's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> There's probably a lot of stuff you can't back up. You know with that whole story.
0: Well, apparently the ending is true. Like, um, what's his face, his wife and kid were there, and then the the Spanish army did allow them to leave.
1: Which is afterwards. which is a great moment in the movie. It is a cool way. It's to end such it. a cool. Yeah, I I, I really enjoyed that. What we were we calling? Is gonna end like Butch casting the Sundance kid at one point. Yeah, I wish it was. We just, just it would be funny if it just started that. and like fr- freeze frame and then.
0: Yeah, I, like, card. I wanted the movie to be over, but I was like, I just want like there all this build up to the fight, and then instead of like seeing the fight, it just like yeah ends. Butch Cassidy style. But
1: really, that's like, and I can't attest for you know a lot of these movies that came around this time, but I thought it just like kind of set a precedence for like I I've seen some of the stuff that happened in this movie in movies that came after it. Yeah, however, like, however, I don't know. have also seen if
0: any movies that came before it. You know what well, I mean? Well, see, like,
1: that's what I'm saying is I can't no, I can't testify to that. Like, I can't. Mm but uh
0: well we'll see some more
1: sure i mean john wayne i think he, i think he did a fine job a passion project i i love the story behind it i i truly do love the whole story behind it too where this was a passion project his they put his own money yeah and didn't recoup it for 11 years yeah like that's the stuff of hollywood legend i really admire it too yeah i mean it was fine honestly check it out if you like if you're into westerns or john wayne like you've probably seen it if you're into either of those but yeah uh I, i i i enjoyed it i didn't i know
0: well let's see what other people thought
1: they they do this thing where they balance a feather on their nose and then they punch each other like it's way better than sheep shearing, I'll tell you that.
0: But it served no purpose. There was so much stuff in this movie that served no purpose. We
1: had to be, we had to love these characters to really feel the impact. We
0: knew they were all the gonna die. Scene.
1: I know, which is why it's interesting when you start to really like these characters, because you know they're doomed. Could you imagine a movie where you didn't care about any of the characters? And yeah, you, it's and called they're The, the Alamo. <laughs> You're so funny tonight I know Okay anyway So how did it do at the box office
0: uh, Good But it had a Rotten Tomato audience Has a Rotten Tomato audience score of 64% Critics score of 50%
1: Whoa Yeah I feel alone in this corner
0: <laughs> Um, It's not really named on any list But John Wayne is ranked as the number 13 Greatest sure. star of all time uh, The box office made 20 million dollars I believe what was it? It was the fifth highest-grossing movie of 1916. Cool. All righty, moving on to best picture winner of 1961.
1: That was good. <laughs> you should start a radio show in 1932.
0: If I had a time machine, I would. <laughs> All right, let's talk about The Apartment by Billy Wilder. Synopsis. A man tries to rise in his company by letting its executives use his apartment for trysts, but complications and a romance of his own ensue. I feel like IMDb is on their game for these synopsies. Synopsi. <laughs> I feel like I'm anyway. getting, like, more tired. I'm just getting crazy. I'm yeah,
1: sorry. you sound delusional. I know. You didn't like the Alamo. You're pronouncing words wrong.
0: Well, me being tired has nothing to do with my thoughts <laughs> on the Alamo. <laughs> All right. The initial concept for this film came from Brief Encounter, a play by Noel Coward. Um, however, blah, 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 due to the Hayes production code, Wilder was unable to make a film about adultery in the 1940s which is when that play came out and when he like saw it and had the idea. Um, So the Wilder and Diamond also based the film partially on a Hollywood scandal in which high powered agent Jennings Lang was shot by producer Walter Wagner for having an affair with Wagner's wife, actress Joan Bennett during the affair. Lang used a low level employee's apartment. Another element of the plot was based on the experience of one of Diamond's friends who returned home after breaking up with his girlfriend to find that she had committed suicide in his bed. Damn. Yeah. So they just like pulled A lot of of inspiration and then, like, mix it all together into a stew called The Apartment.
1: Thank you for re-explaining that to me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I'm going to try to pull it together. Okay. This is... Oh, this is interesting. You probably already know this. Art director Alexandre Trauner used forced perspective to create the set of a large insurance company office. The set appeared to be a long room full of desks and workers, However, they achieved that look by using smaller people and desks placed at the back of the room, ending up with children. And then, like, I guess behind that there were, like, cutouts of, like, small little desks and people. Yeah.
1: That Um, is awesome.
0: (laughs) Critics were split on the apartment. Time and Newsweek praised it, as did the New York Times film critic Bosley Crowther, who called the film, quote, gleeful, tender, and even sentimental, end quote and Wilder's direction, quote, ingenious. Esquire critic Dwight McDonald gave the film a poor review, calling it a paradigm of corny avant-gardism, end quote. Others took issue with the film's controversial depictions of infidelity and adultery, with critics Hollis Alpert of the Saturday Review dismissing it it as, quote, a dirty fairy tale. Okay. So, people were... People were split on it back then.
1: I think, we, I think it was a moral issue with it more than anything.
0: It is like it is the most blatantly like people those, cheat. Those
1: <laughs> negative reviewers probably were having affairs. Probably. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it was just exposing their game.
0: Yeah. Their wives were like, wait.
1: Yeah. No, I don't have to
0: work late.
1: I don't know. I feel like this film is objectively great.
0: This is one of your favorite films of all time, isn't it? It sure is. Why don't you tell me why?
1: I love Jack. Lemon. No
0: Jack. Lemon is great.
1: Uh, I, again, I just think it's like, it's really interesting in watching a lot of these classic movies, like where you start to see that, that line shift of what's allowed and what can be finally be talked about and what's been hushed for so long. So thematically, like I love its material. Um, and the fact that Jack lemon, who is just one of the best performers alive or sorry, Of his time is what I meant to say. Not alive. He's he's certainly not. No. Um, But he's just one of the best performers of his time, and give this, you know, he gives this pushover character who no one really, really, truly cares about. But you still see his drive, and you watch him fall in love, and you watch the heartbreak of watching that person not be in love with you, and like everything just works so well in the situation where he's just a great guy in a terrible situation and he handles it so well and i don't know and then besides that like besides just the story billy wilder is like again objectively one of the greatest filmmakers to ever live mm-hmm. and he, this movie is beyond perfect like i think this is a better movie than some like it hot which was just recently voted like the the funniest movie of all time you or think whatever this is better movie. than some like it hot it 100 is oh, better wow. than something like it hot.
0: I disagree with that. I mean, like, I really like this movie, but I think that something like it hot is. But I think they're very different. Something like it hot is just a comedy. Yeah, exactly. This is, no, they're mixes very different. A lot of drama.
1: Yeah, they're very different films for sure. Like this is in that middle ground between like something like it hot and Bo- Sunset Boulevard, but that just goes to show the range of Billy Wilder. Um, I think the camera is placed perfectly in every scene. I think. We stay on the scenes as long as we absolutely need to. There's not a lot of cuts like it, but it's it's not shot in like the typical way, in my opinion. I like that one yeah. reviewer who said it was what do you say, folly avant-garde, or it, do, it doesn't matter. But it certainly Corny was some, avant-garde. It, as well, well it certainly was something new, I think, mm-hmm. and it was something. Uh, I don't know. Even fairy tale is almost a good description of this movie in a way that it's just like it is kind of whimsical although it is very grounded in and it is kind
0: of like a fairy tale in the fact that like she kind of gets like saved you know what i mean like he like yeah. saves her but in a very like modern actual real world yeah where, like he literally like, saves her life do you know what i mean
1: like, yeah and like in a in a in a in an era where people are od and being brought back to life so often now because of new drugs. Or, no, yeah. Yeah, because of new drugs and stuff. But like, you know, he was lucky to find her when he did. It was just a crazy scenario, but it works. And it's just, I don't know. It's so wonderful. The chemistry between Jack Lemmon and Shirley uh, McLean. McLean. She's something different, too. It's like she's a different kind of woman than we've seen, especially in this year movies.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, yeah,
1: it's just, I don't know. It's. I don't really know what to say about it. I just think it does everything it does really well.
0: Uh yeah, I said th- this is the first time that I saw it, but um I loved it. I thought it was great. I think it definitely especially when you're holding it up against the other movies that it was nominated against. Um it feels so much fresher. It feels very like modern. Like you could make that same movie, I mean, I don't, don't remake it, but like you could make that movie today and it would still I feel like hit all the same beats. It could still like you know what I mean? You wouldn't have to sure. update anything because I think it's a very, unfortunately, it's still like a very universal story about men causing damage to women and like that kind of stuff, you know?
1: Absolutely. And and how like relevant, you know, right now with all this Harvey Weinstein stuff yeah. going on, you know, it's it's so interesting to see that like this, these are the guys that Harvey Weinstein – was referring to when it's like I grew up in a different period where like that. Right. like he's like du- almost directly referencing this movie and acting like that's an okay way to act, right? Which is fucking ludicrous.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I will say at least like it seems like mo- all the men in this movie did have consent before they did anything with these. Oh, women. sorry,
1: no, 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 I know, but like in the <laughs> no, fact but just, like that the way just, that
0: they treat women and yeah, terms, the way they're talking about women behind
1: them. their back. Yeah. Like there's so much just when the boys are in the room, mm-hmm. La- locker room talk is a certain someone likes to say
0: president of the United States.
1: Stop. <laughs> I wasn't trying to do that.
0: Everyone knows.
1: I know, but you're narrowing our audience. It's narrowed. <laughs> anyway, uh can't get away with any subtle humor over here, but yeah, but I mean, like, very much this is stuff that happens, like, it has happened obviously for years and continues to happen, but it's mm-hmm. just like, oh, it's just disgusting. And it's good that they're the villains of this movie in a way.
0: Well, to that point, though, so in my research of this film, I came across this anecdote so again I don't know how verifiable it is because I just came across it in this one place but um it was saying Billy Wilder you know had worked with Marilyn Monroe twice before for the seven-year itch and then the year before with some like it hot and that he was so um uh, like annoyed and like fed up with her her antics on set that that's why he included that one character that was kind of like a caricature of Marilyn Monroe that like the, one of the, executives sure, picked up. it part. was kind of like a, a dig at her because of like what she had put him through, I guess, as so, an actress. Yeah. And then this movie came out in 1960. So two years later, Marilyn Monroe will have overdosed and died. Oh, like a, due to like the damage that a lot of men had caused her in her sure, life. Absolutely. So it was just, just kind of like, you know, like watching the scene again, I was just kind of, it made me think of Marilyn Monroe anyway. And I'm like – and then when I read that thing, I'm like, oh, that kind of sucks. that Like, he made this movie that was so, you know, aware of the ways that men can damage women and the effect that that can have. But, like, he wasn't aware of this woman in his life that had had that damage on sure. her that was going to end up in the well, same situation. Well, in a way,
1: like, to say – that, like, this is just speculation, but – Comparing Billy Wilder and Marilyn Monroe, she was far above him in the limelight. She was right? above everyone, yeah. But exa- so I don't think he thought whatever little dig he did at her is just an insider mm-hmm. joke, would have ever even gone noticed by her. Do well, you know yeah, what I mean? I don't
0: know if this movie had—I mean, I don't think this movie had anything to do. Although I sure, heard that she wanted the Shirley MacLaine role.
1: Okay, so and he didn't want to work with her. There's nothing, you know. There's obviously nothing wrong with that. Sure. And sure, he made like a little dig, at like a, f- a frustration, but like. I wouldn't say he he should feel guilty about the situation. No, it just makes me wonder
0: if he ago. was able to recognize the damage that was in her when he was writing about it for oh, another character. Do you know I what I mean? I see what
1: you're saying. That's... Like, oh, I don't think he's responsible I, I, in any I, way for what she I'm did. Sorry, I'm sorry. I just, just misread saying. what you were, ta- what you were yeah. talking about. Okay. No, that's interesting. Um, wow, that's really interesting, actually. Mm-hmm. So maybe he was taking in... He's just using his observations of her as a person and seeing her interactions with like other higher people like higher up people yeah
0: like if that had anything and
1: seeing see that's it. interesting i really like that because i mean clearly marilyn monroe was someone that was forced upon billy wilder right like he didn't discover her no i mean no, she you know what i mean star before it was like Although
0: seven year inch really like catapulted her also do you know what i mean like that's okay. one of her most iconic sure. roles
1: but i'm just saying like him as like a top notch filmmaker i don't think was like this Marilyn Monroe girl, I have to get her in my movie. No, I'm sure it was like, Hey, could you cast? Uh, and he did choose wrong? to work
0: with her again though for Some Like It Hot. I think though, like between Seven Year Itch and Some Like It Hot, she'd, she she like was Itch. on the way down in her mental state. By oh, god, because like okay, you know okay. I mean? that came it was 1959 and 1962, she died, you know, so yeah. she wasn't at the top of her game. At so, that point. apartment
1: is is right post, uh, Some Like It Hot,
0: yeah, it came out the year after Some Like It Hot came out.
1: That's really interesting, because if something Like a Hot wouldn't have been the success it was, would the apartment have even gotten financing?
0: That's a good question. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I also, I don't want to talk about Marilyn Monroe too much, because she actually has nothing to do with this movie. But I do think it's interesting that she, like, really wanted the Shirley MacLaine part, because it does feel like she really, that was, like, a role she identified yeah, with, like, you know?
1: I know, that's too strong now. Mm-hmm. That's kind of messed up to think about now. A little bit yeah
0: also those uh that scene getting back to the movie the the scene where sherman McLean does overdose it reminded me so obviously like it also reminded me we've talked about in a previous episode almost famous it's one of my favorite movies and it like i feel like camera crow had to be inspired by that scene one like obviously yeah she overdoses and they pump her stomach which happens in almost famous but the shot when they're like marching her up and down of just like her feet dragging is so similar to when they're dancing and Almost Famous and her feet are just, like...
1: That's really interesting. ...being dragged around. Like, that's immediately yeah, that's what a I thought con- That's a great connection. Oh, for sure. Like, he's 100% aware yeah. of Billy Wilder and, <laughs> yeah. and the apartment. That's fascinating, actually. Very cool.
0: So, yeah. So, yeah, I really... I loved it. Um, I do think, you know, it is... Well, Jack Lemmon, first of all, is a comic genius, honestly. Like, he's hysterical in everything that he does. But what I liked about this like this movie i feel like part of the reason that it feels so modern and so fresh is that it wasn't just a screwball comedy it wasn't just a melodrama but it took like t- aspects from both of those kinds of films and created something different you know Sure. i mean not different now i think mean, like, we have plenty of those kind of movies now i think but i think that it was probably rarer in 1960 mm-hmm. to see something where you're like Jack Lemmon squirting eye drops across the room or nose, whatever that stuff was <laughs> supposed to be.
1: It was, I think, it was like saline, A saline
0: solution, and then, um, <laughs> you know, like ten minutes later in the movie, there's like someone. On the verge of death. Yeah. You know? yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, for sure. Committing suicide. Like that's that's dark shit. Yeah.
1: You know? I mean, I don't think that would've happened if someone else was casting the role. You know what I mean? I think he got away he got to build his character. Yeah, he did right?
0: have free reign to do what he wanted. To exactly.
1: Do. So I don't But he also
0: know. cast Jack Lemon. He wanted that, you know. No, for sure. For
1: sure. Because I think he didn't want to just make a melodrama, you know what I mean? Right. I th- I think he wanted to bring something special to it, which is why I mean Jack Lemon is like a, the perfect casting. This is in my opinion, too, this is like, this is probably my favorite role of his. Yeah. And you're probably mad at something like that, too. I get it. Well, but, he, but he's like, very good. Like, no, no, I know. So good. I know. But character-wise, this is my yeah favorite character.
0: It's really good. I really, really loved this movie. And this is a movie that I, like, would watch again. You know what I mean? Like, in a heartbeat, oh, I would watch this movie
1: again. certainly.
0: You want to know what other people think about this movie? Yeah, yeah. Well, sit back, honey. Here we go.
1: Did you just call me honey? That was like the first. We've been dating six years. You never call me honey. You call me honey now?
0: Well, edit it out. It's weird. Was that a line from the movie? No. Okay. So it's got a Rotten Tomato audience score of 94% and a critic score of 93%. Okay. List that it's on. On AFI's original list of the best movies of all time, it ranked at number 93. What? Um, Yes. On their list of the 100 greatest comedies, it was ranked at number 20.
1: Well, no, no, number what 20 okay did i say it
0: weird? i don't know okay <laughs> on their list of the greatest love stories it ranked at number 62 on their anniversary list of the 100 best movies it got bumped up to number 80 um sight and sounds list of the top 250 movies of all time it was ranked at number 127 and on their concurrent poll of film directors sight and sound um, they ranked it as the 14th greatest film of all time, tied with La Dolce Vita. Wow! It was preserved in the Library of Congress Film Registry in 1994. Um, in 1960, it also won a BAFTA for Best Film from Any Source, and both Lemon and McLean won BAFTAs and Golden Globes for their performances. Wow! Okay. But again, it was the kind of thing—well, not with the BAFTAs, with the Golden Globes. It was they won in comedy. Yeah,
1: comedy it, musical. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and at the box office, it made 24.6 million.
1: Nice more than the alamo
0: no the alamo made more
1: oh i think you said the alamo made 20 million.
0: Oh yeah no you're right <laughs> but on this mm, let's just not talk about it
1: oh do we have another uh <laughs> we have a little <laughs> discrepancy that's okay
0: well the alamo figures that i read mm, i don't know what's happening According to the top ten, the Alamo was above the
1: apartment. You almost majored in journalism,
0: <laughs> but then I didn't. You know why? Because facts yeah. are hard. Yeah.
1: <laughs> she fucking is not bad, and facts are hard.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, so that's the apartment, Lenon. Well, before we get to some supplemental films that we watched for this episode, just out of the movies that were actually nominated. Do you think the correct movie works?
1: I do. I mean. I know you
0: love The Alamo. What sure, sure. It's a,
1: it's a tough choice, but no, I think The Alamo stands out as, I mean, again, it's, <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies of all time. The Alamo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Apartment, shit. Uh. The Apartment is one of the best movies of all time, so. I agree. Made I by one of the greatest filmmakers of all time, starring one of the greatest performers of all time.
0: And Sherlock Holmes.
1: And Shirley MacLaine. <laughs> yeah. I was true. just being
0: mean. Honestly, I like hate Shirley MacLaine a lot. Like and other That's things ridiculous. I've seen her in, but I like loved her in this it's ridiculous.
1: movie. Okay, good. I'm glad you could see past the actress.
0: I liked her. Okay. Like I don't, I haven't seen her in that much.
1: Yeah, I can tell. In
0: some <sighs> movies that I hate. But anyway. No, I agree. Hands down the apartment. Is like, like what?
1: Valentine's Day? Like what do you not like her in?
0: She's in terms of endearment. And I hate that movie oh, okay. so much, which we'll talk about at a later date. Okay. But yeah. Yeah, Hands Down the Apartment is great. But there were some other movies that came out this year didn't get nominated that maybe maybe are better. Let's talk about them. Okay. First up, um, we're just going to talk briefly about this because we didn't actually watch it.
1: Because Devin did not want to watch another three-hour-plus epic.
0: Nope. Not okay. into it. But it is Spartacus. That's how they say it, right? I don't know. I didn't see it. But.
1: I am Spartacus.
0: They didn't even write a synopsis.
1: No, I am Spartacus.
0: I'm Spartacus. Uh. <laughs> that's all they say.
1: Yeah,
0: I've seen that scene.
1: Sit down, I'm Spartacus.
0: It's beautiful. It's moving. Um, it's about a slave named Spartacus who leads a rebellion. I don't know.
1: So, Should have yeah. looked that up. Yeah, and then they like you know they want to stop him, but like everybody's taking the blame. And...
0: Yeah, and that goes on for three hours. So it was written by Dalton Trumbo, who was one of the Hollywood Ten and blacklisted at the time the film was made. But he was publicly announced as the screenwriter, and then JFK crossed American Legion picket lines to view the film, which helped bring an end to the blacklist. All those things. Combined.
1: Yeah, because that is the end. 1960 is the end of the blacklist, which we should also mention. That's, yes. It's really yes. important. No
0: more blacklist. Yay. I can't believe
1: that wasn't in your notes for the year in film.
0: Well, it wasn't ever really like a thing.
1: They didn't want to acknowledge it? Probably not. I get it.
0: They were like, no oh, blacklist. Oh, yeah, oh. for sure. No. No, also, sure. like the I mean, we'll talk about this more probably in other years when the blacklist was more prevalent but i mean all those the hollywood ten like most of those people were still working
1: yeah while they were dalton trumbo the mo- more than anyone
0: well he won two oscars while he was. well i just mean i like, know like he yeah. was
1: literally more working more than anyone not that he was recognized more than anyone he just yeah. literally worked more than any other person but he also he would, like, write, did win two he oscars would write like <laughs> three or four screenplays at a time yeah like it was fucking crazy watch the movie trumbo yeah
0: um so yeah so i think it's an important movie kind of in that regard just because it did kind of end mm-hmm. did early kubrick mm-hmm. yep um there's so a lot of r-
1: important reasons to watch this movie
0: yeah you do it and you let the people know what the movie is
1: i about. will I'll, I'll update you guys in our inaugural <laughs>
0: <laughs> um it is listed on a lot of uh lists too for afi american film institute on their They did a um, 10 top 10 and the list of the top 10 epics. It was ranked at number five on their list of the hundred greatest thrills. It was listed at 62 on the hundred greatest heroes and villains. Spartacus was ranked as the number 22 hero on the list of 100 cheers. It's ranked at number 44 and on the anniversary list of the hundred best films it ranked at number 81 and Kirk Douglas is ranked at number 17 on the hundred greatest stars.
1: Cool. Yeah, yeah, All right, let's yeah. stop talking about a movie we didn't see.
0: Okay. Talk by a movie we watched that wasn't nominated for anything because it's not even American. It is Breathless by Jean-Luc Godard. Did I say that right? Yeah. Cool. All right. Synopsis. A small-time thief steals a car and impulsively murders a motorcycle policeman. Wanted by the authorities, he reunites with a hip American journalism student and attempts to persuade her to run away with him to Italy.
1: I don't know if that's a good or bad synopsis. Like, it's, it, it hits all the points, right?
0: I mean, it but tells not, you what the plot is. It's not
1: selling me on the movie, though. Like, you know no. what I mean?
0: Well, because the thing about Breathless is it's all, like, I feel like the plot is, like, secondary to just, like, the mood that it creates it's and, okay. like, the aura that it has.
1: Ooh, the aura.
0: I know. I'm fancy.
1: So what do you think of Breathless?
0: Well, I have to tell you some facts about it first. It's oh, like yeah. you forgot the format of this podcast in the middle of us doing it. <laughs> Um was the first feature-length work of Godard and considered one of the earliest and most influential examples of French New Wave cinema. You know that because you're a film major. You
1: sound so generic. I, what do you want me to say? I'm just kidding. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm being a snob.
0: It's loosely based on a newspaper article that Francois Truffaut read in the news in brief. I think that's a newspaper. Uh, the character of... Michelle Picard is based on the real life, Michelle Portal, and his American girlfriend and journalist, Beverly Lynette. Godard envisioned Breathless as a documentary and tasked cinematographer Raoul Coutard Coutard? Mm -hmm. to shoot the entire film on a handheld camera with next to no lighting. The production was filmed using an eclair Camflex. Um, Almost the whole film had to be dubbed in post-production because of the noisiness of the camera and because the Camflex was incapable of synchronized
1: sound. Sure. Sure. Because it it didn't necessarily shoot at 24 frames a second all the time. It would like differ in its speed even as slightly, but that would throw off sound completely. Right. Yeah. This whole thing is post-sound.
0: Which is really interesting. I didn't notice that at all while watching it though. No. Oh, it's so obvious. It didn't occur to me. Yeah. I mean, like, now that I think about it, I'm like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But, like, at the time, it wasn't like it stuck out to me, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Godard also wrote the script as they shot, often feeding the lines to the actors as they said them, which would have caused a problem if they were recording sound.
1: Yeah. (laughs) You hear (laughs) any echo?
0: Like, what? God is telling us these (laughs) words. (laughs) Um, instead of renting a dolly with complicated and time-consuming tracks to lay, Goddard and Cotard rented a wheelchair for the film that Goddard often pushed himself. For certain street scenes, Cotard would hide in a postal cart with a hole in it for the lens and stamp packages piled on top of him.
1: That's really interesting.
0: That is interesting. The shooting lasted for 23 days. Wow. During post-production, Goddard found that the first cut was too long for distribution, but rather than cut out full scenes, he chose to just cut out the little bits that he didn't think were important, which led to the jump cut technique that the film introduced,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. which I think is, like, cool. It reminds me of, like, the Jaws story. Do you know what I'm talking about? Sure. It reminds me of the Jaws story where, like, everyone's like, oh, like, the greatest thing Jaws did was, like, build up suspense because you never see the shark and blah, blah, blah. But, like, it's just because the shark, like, wasn't working. Yeah. So, like, I feel like everyone's like, oh, this jump cut thing was, like, revolutionary. But it's just because he was like, I don't want to cut out, like, I'm just going to cut out, like, little bits.
1: Sure. Or like One of my favorite stories like that is it doesn't have to do a technical aspect, but like another Steven Spielberg movie, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, mm-hmm. the famous scene where this guy pulls out a sword, he's doing all these fancy tricks with it, and then Indiana Jones just takes out a gun and shoots him and then moves on. Because Harrison Ford had the flu that day and couldn't get the fighting choreography down. Yeah. <laughs> so they're and just, just like, like, oh, I'm just going to shoot it. But it's like, it's like a super famous scene. Yeah, it's like just,
0: ac- it's one of the most iconic Indiana Jones Exactly. Scenes.
1: Like, it is. I love it. But no, yeah. Jump cut. Yeah. I feel like I'm sitting in my freshman film history class right now.
0: Um, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well I just have a I have two more things just to No, no, no I'm no I'm
1: I'm I am no i i am i did not mean that in like a bad way. Okay. It's just like I just remember hearing about this, like like literally hearing about Godard yeah. in my first experience in my first foray of filmmaking. And it's just I don't know, it's it's kind of fun. All
0: right. So at the oh wait, this isn't at the time. Nine years ago. Yeah. New York Times critic A.O. Scott wrote in 2010, 50 years after the release of Breathless, that it is both, quote, a pop artifact and a daring work of art, even at 50. It's still cool, still new, still, after all this time, a bulletin from the future of movies. Roger Ebert included it in his Great Movies list in 2003, writing that, quote, no debut film since Citizen Kane in 1942 has been as influential. Um, End quote. He dismissed its jump cuts as the biggest breakthrough and instead called... Calling revolutionary its, quote, headlong pacing, its cool detachment, its dismissal of authority, and the way its narcissistic young heroes are obsessed with themselves and oblivious to the larger society. Um, Godard himself said the success of Breathless was a mistake, but he added, quote, there used to be just one way. There was one way you could do things. There were people who protected it like a copyright, a secret cult only for the initiated. That's why I don't regret making Breathless and blowing that all apart.
1: Amen. I love that. Yeah, I liked that quote. Two other things I want to add. Martin Scorsese said, "There's film history is before Breathless and after Breathless. Which I love. And that might be like slightly uh, paraphrased, but like -hmm. that's that's what it is. And then, to lead into what you thought about the film, Godard once said, all you need to make a movie is a girl and a gun. Ooh, I like that. So what did you think about Breathless, Devin? I loved it. Loved?
0: Loved it. First of all, like I said, like, I think the best thing about this movie, like, it's not the plot, or whatever, but it's really just like the mood of it. It's just so freaking cool. Like, they're cool. The whole thing looks cool. Everybody's dressed cool.
1: <laughs> like, it's just... Cool. I mean, it was the 60s in France.
0: They were merchants of cool. It's a quote, yeah. almost famous. <laughs> I'm just going to keep talking about that this episode. But, um, no, it's just like, it was great. And I, I mean... Of all the movies that we watched for this year, mm, I still say this is probably like the second most modern feeling. But um it still feel it feels like definitely something that could be made today. And it like even reading through all the ways that like Godard made the movie, it just sounds how indie movies are made, you know what I mean? Like they were just like making it up as they went and just like what came out was more organic that way. Do you know yeah, what I mean? It's almost
1: like stream of conscious filmmaking to bring that back into the discussion.
0: Yeah. And like Godard, like the French knew we have like all these people, they didn't like go to film school. All they did was watch movies. Yeah. And then they were like, well, we're going to make movies. And like watching them was the only education that they ever got for mm-hmm. making it. So it is like this
1: American movies that all came in post world war two. Yeah. And so, so they like, just had this, they had this abundance now of American movies they hadn't seen Mm-hmm for the last six years and the f- their cinemas were just flooded with all these new American movies constantly.
0: Yeah. And so breathless, I think is really cool because it's like a French take on an American gangster drama. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like they're like Reeves has got the girlfriend on the, a low budget because on we, a can't, super low budget, yeah. we
1: can't afford a lot of people and but locations
0: just, like so Gene Seberg in this movie is fabulous but like my the cool thing too like you know the striped dress she wears at the end yeah i was reading about that that was bought at the french equivalent to target <laughs> so it's just like some cheap dress that they went and bought off sure, the rack sure. for her to wear and it's like iconic
1: yeah that's amazing
0: yeah because even when french people do cheap stuff it looks better i don't know but like, <laughs> <laughs> no i loved it absolutely loved it
1: I'm really glad this has been an important movie in my life and uh, I'm glad you finally got to what we has been sitting on our shelf for quite some time going unwatched.
0: Mm -hmm. But then we were like, hey, we're doing a podcast by 1960. Yeah. Let's watch this. But this was never nominated for any Academy Awards, not even, um, I think technically if it had been nominated as a foreign language film, it would have been in the 1962 ceremony, but it wasn't nominated. Yeah. It always had like
1: a year difference. I don't know. I don't know why. I would like to actually like look up that information. I
0: must have to do like when it gets distributed in America. I don't sure. know.
1: Sure. Um, which I don't know if we had the best foreign. Uh, like I think I don't think uh, in America like foreign films were distributed as regularly until like the 1970s. That makes sense. Yeah. So I, I think it was just harder to play and only probably played in cities like New York or L.A. Hmm. Um. But yeah. Uh. I love Breathless. Like I don't really know if there's too much I can add to the, really the conversation. I just I truly love it. I think it is very avant garde and mm-hmm. uh it's a new way for a reason, you know? I don't
0: like, Yeah, exactly. It was a new way of like and that's what I like too that Roger I think it was Roger Ebert said. Or maybe it was the just, other guy, A.O. Scott. But he basically said, like it's still even fifty years after it came out, it still feels like it's something that's like from the future. Like, not even current, but, like...
1: Yeah, it feels... like That's new. why, I actually, I'm kind of puzzled by you saying it's the second most modern film of this. It's... No, it's, like, the most modernist film in well, this bunch of movies.
0: There's another one we're going to talk about that I think feels a little bit more modern to me. Oh. We'll get to that in a minute.
1: I thought it. you were referring to The Apartment, because that's oh, when you no. first brought up modernity. The Apartment,
0: I think, is the third most modern of these movies.
1: Oh, okay. So, I think... Th- on devin's list of the top <laughs> 10 most modern movies of 1960 <laughs> no i'm glad you i'm glad you really liked it i would recommend this movie over i would recommend this movie over any other movie on this list
0: i would agree just because like for the most part mm, i don't know if you haven't seen this movie i definitely recommend it yeah. i can't say I recommend it more than the next movie we're talk about okay um, so let me just tell you are we do there anything else you want to say about breath Also, I'm
1: thinking ahead. I really love your lead in from this movie to the next one. I don't know if you purposely position it like that, but I think it's very important that the following movie oh,
0: well, I've got a great transition to the next I'm movie. excited.
1: I'm so excited.
0: <laughs> I hope it like lives up to what you think it's gonna be
1: <laughs> yeah, no I, <laughs> the pressure's on.
0: Do you have anything else you wanna to say before I tell you other things about it? No. Okay, so Breathless has a Rotten Tomato audience score of 90% and a critic score of 97%.
1: Highest thus far.
0: Mm-hmm. It's not on any um, American Film Institute list, obviously, because those are for American films. But on Sight and Sound's list of the top 250 movies, it was ranked at number 13 mm-hmm. out of 250 movies.
1: Also, like, if I can just speak from experience, these AFI lists are bullshit and Sight and Sound is the only list to really listen to anyway?
0: Well, so. I like the AFI list.
1: No, no, no. I get it because they break it down in multiple categories. Yep. I do understand, but I'm gonna but say I if you're include gonna include t- the Sight and Sound, because if you're gonna it's take more important, yes. If you're gonna take one list seriously, I'm glad it's on this list. Do you know what I'm saying? Sure.
0: So it's number thirteen on the Top 250, and then on their the directors poll that they did, it ranked at number eleven, best film of all time.
1: Cool. So this is voting amongst just directors.
0: Yeah, they just polled.
1: Is the, this? Are you referring to one? Is Ozu his Tokyo Story at the top of this list, or Vertigo? It's one of those
0: vertigo's at the top of the two hundred and fifty.
1: Okay, I don't. Then Ozu is, I think, the director's choice. Okay, um, so Tokyo Story by Ozu
0: at the box office, and that's all
1: I gotta say about that.
0: In France, it made sixty-seven thousand four hundred sixty-four dollars.
1: Okay, so I
0: don't know what that would be in U.S. dollars, but seven. I don't think it was you know like a big. Money maker, maybe. No, 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 for but. sure.
1: I, I don't think it had the impact. You know that. I mean, it went on to like Cannes Film Festival and stuff like that, and that's cool. But I don't think it really had that impact until years, you know.
0: Yeah, but I think obviously, like, it's probably one of the most influential movies. Amen. If looking at movie, like, amen. That inspire film directors even today. So. The
1: right people saw that movie at the time.
0: Yes, and it inspired Beyonce and Jay Z. So I mean,
1: oh my god! Please.
0: What more can you ask from a movie?
1: Where's this transition at?
0: Okay, so to transition into our next movie. Uh, Godard and Truffaut and the other pioneers of yes! <laughs> French New Wave are credited with creating the auteur theory, which um, states that directors are the authors of their stories. And it looks at the body of a director's work and kind of like picks out themes of like the kind of stories that they tell. Is that a good definition yeah, of auteur stop looking theory? at me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And one of the first directors that they wrote about using this theory was Alfred Hitchcock. Which brings us to 1960s Psycho.
1: Uh, blah,
0: blah blah. Synopsis: A phoenix. <laughs>
1: you just said blah, blah blah. Were you skipping over your own words? Like <laughs>
0: yeah, well the way I have it, yeah.
1: <laughs> All right, blah, blah blah. See you next week.
0: <laughs> and Psycho. Good night. <laughs> okay. Um, A Phoenix secretary (laughs) embezzles $40,000 from her employer's client, goes on the run, and checks into a remote hotel run by a young man under the domination of his mother. That's a good non-spoilery synopsis (laughs) of Psycho.
1: I don't think anyone's worried about spoiling Psycho.
0: Well, if you don't know what happens in Psycho, honestly, stop listening now and just go watch Psycho.
1: I mean, if we're really worried about spoilers, we would have not been t- like I think we've ruined just about every movie. Well, yeah. We well, about. the
0: whole like rule with spoilers is that if it's like over Ten a week years. you don't have to worry about it and we're talking about movies that are like 57 years over old. Over a
1: week? Yeah. It's a little more than a week.
0: Like, For, to, like to be fair, I like TV to give it a, I like to give it a year. Fine. We're still good. A year. year. Okay. I'm just saying if they're literally like this is one movie that I really think if you don't know anything about Psycho, you should go watch Psycho without knowing anything Dude, about it. Dude,
1: Bruce Willis is dead the whole time. In Psycho. (laughs) Yes.
0: All right. Uh, So Psycho was based on the novel of the same name by Robert Block, and it was loosely based on convicted murderer Ed Gein, who has also served as the inspiration for Leatherface in Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs.
1: Hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Paramount had no faith in this film, and they didn't want to waste money on it, even after Hitchcock proposed shooting in black and white and using his TV crew to keep costs down. In the end, Hitchcock financed the film through his own production company, Shamely Productions, and forewent his usual salary in exchange for 60% on the back end.
1: Nice.
0: He may bank off this movie, guys. Holy
1: shit. <laughs> this set him up for life.
0: Yeah, Paramount was like, fuck, let's not do that again. Oh, my God. So the famous, the most famous scene in Psycho, the shower scene, took six days to film. Used 77 different camera angles, and the finished scene runs three minutes and includes 50 cuts. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Uh, Psycho was unprecedented in its depiction of sexuality and violence, and movies like this helped Hollywood to abandon the production code altogether by the late 60s. Which Uh, I think is important.
1: By like seven to eight years later.
0: By like seven years later, people were like, you know what? But it was one of those things like the no, production no, code something that had to be chipped away. The shift
1: had begun. Slowly. Even with the apartment, I think.
0: You look, look at Sons and Lovers. Like a lot of these movies were chipping away, but I think this one was sure. more. Sons familiar. and
1: Lovers, I don't call, count as the Hollywood system, though. Oh, really? It was an English film.
0: Oh, I guess that's true. Yeah. That's fair.
1: Okay. So I wouldn't even include that in this bunch. Okay, were, never they mind. They were doing crazy shit elsewhere. So. <laughs> you
0: know how those English people get. Well, Lover Hitchcock's English. You know how they are. Okay. Um, initial reviews of Psycho were mixed with many critics dismissing the film as gimmicky or too television like however once it was clear that audiences loved the film critics reevaluated and suddenly were praising the film um,
1: that's bullshit Fuck them.
0: <laughs> Bosley Crother who we've mentioned before originally said there is not an abundance of subtlety or the lately familiar Hitchcock bent toward significant and colorful scenery in this obviously low budget job he called it the criti- he called the slow buildups of sudden shocks were reliably melodramatic, but contested Hitchcock's psychological points were reminiscent of Kraft's evening studies as less effective. I don't know what any of that means, but he hated it. And then by the end of 1960, it was in his top 10 list of the best
1: movies. <laughs> sure. I mean, it's one of those movies you probably got to rewatch. And it's just like, damn.
0: I do think it's funny that they were, the critics were like, eh, "It's like
1: they were so ready to dismiss it already." It's just
0: like it's his TV show and blah blah, blah. and yeah, then they were yeah. like, "Oh, everybody loves it. I guess it's good."
1: Yeah, I think sometimes it just like I do think, you know, for some, I I, I think it was like maybe I need to take this more seriously. I was so easy to dismiss it because it's a
0: genre. I yeah, I knew
1: what I was going. You know what I mean? Um, but then after repeat viewings and just noticing, that is no, it's it's above a certain regard mm-hmm. you know
0: well i think like i was reading something hitchcock basically said like these b horror movies would make like a ton of money at the box office and he was like well what if i make one of those movies but like make it a good movie that probably do really good <laughs> <laughs> like that was his whole that's good math yeah he was like that'll be great <laughs> and he was right I mean, yeah. It was the second highest grossing movie of the year and it's probably i mean it gets re-released into theaters too so it has to like even be yeah for sure now so um what do you think about psycho kyle <laughs> Just <say>, mm. like
1: <laughs> no, I mean I love Psycho. Obviously, uh, it wouldn't be even my favorite film on, we've discussed today, but um, I can't deny it's it's a classic in so many ways. So inspirational, um, influential, rather um, great performances all around. Yeah, there's really nothing wrong with this movie. Directed to near per- near perfection. Yes, soundtrack's awesome.
0: I mean, one of the most iconic musical yeah i mean the
1: shower scene is just it's you know something of lore and something of perfection I, you know what is there to say that hasn't been said about Psycho? It's like i'm sorry I'm like psycho. obviously i very much enjoy it uh i would still probably hold breathless in the apartment a little bit more near to my heart mm-hmm. but i mean love psycho
0: yeah i think psycho um is great i think i mean it's credited as like the first quote slasher movie yeah um and it's also probably, I mean, I don't like slasher movies the way that they are now. But, I mean, like, this movie, I mean, Everett Hitchcock was called the master of suspense. And he can build tension and suspense, like, no other director before him or after him, honestly. Like,
1: absolutely, absolutely. That's why
0: he's the fucking master. But, like, it's so good. And even, like, watching it now, and I've seen this movie multiple times at this point. But even watching it now, it's still just, like, you can still feel the tension even when you know what's happening and you know what's sure, going to come. Sure. Like, it's so... It's so good, and like what I think is crazy too. You know, I was like doing research stuff, and I was looking at just like the list of Alfred Hitchcock's filmography, and this is like in the last like ten years of his career. Do you know what I mean? Like this is in the later, later half of his career. Like the movies he had already established himself with uh, so much other stuff that it seems crazy to me that he's still at this point. He was trying.
1: He was honestly probably trying to stay relevant.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, he had his television show at this point. I think that I think that was kind of inspired yeah. by that, too. You and know, but, but I mean,
1: if you look at, like, obviously, this is a very different age right now between uh, cinema and television. But, like, back then, if you were in TV. You, yeah, you would, like, like fail. Yeah, you failed. So, actor. like, he had been in the TV realm for now quite a bit, of, you know, time. Mm-hmm. And hadn't really had a huge hit in a while. And then he really came back with this and let people know, like, guys, Elver Hitchcock is still a fucking name.
0: Yeah and I mean also like he not only I mean the movie on its own I think like just holds up because we we weren't privy to any of the marketing gimmicks that he did but his whole marketing like first of all Janet Lee was a huge star she was billed yeah. everywhere as the star of this movie on every poster and everything he had this whole thing that people would not be admitted late if you showed up even a minute late you were not going to see this movie
1: oh, that's awesome yeah we were,
0: like the theaters weren't too happy about that but they were like okay because he didn't want people to come in late and then janet lee wasn't even in the movie anymore and they were like what is this which i mean you have to be pretty late to miss all of janet lee but like yeah the fact that she gets killed i mean regardless he's he's making
1: an event out of this movie yeah regardless from all the promotion he's making this an event which is only going to get people more hyped
0: sure but i'm just saying too like the whole um and again this is something that has been said a million times about it but you're you're taking people's expectations and then completely subverting them by killing the protagonist. Sure. Halfway through the movie.
1: at more recently like No Country for Old Men, you know?
0: Or like Game of Thrones. <laughs> well, okay. Well, that's what they did.
1: I, it's a different Season medium together, though. Season one. I know, but it's that same thing. Anyway. I think it's the same. <laughs> it's not. Same thing. No.
0: <laughs> so we're agreed. But, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, like, it's just great. It changed... Um, horror filmmaking it changed genre filmmaking it changed regular filmmaking it's an important movie and it's important for a reason and it still holds up today like I was saying I think this feels like the most modern movie of all the movies that we watch and I think part of that is that um the fact that it is a psychoanalytical thriller it is like it's a thriller and it's like a murder mystery type thing but it's not you know a jealous lover it's not like which is more what movies before they were like gangster movies where people are getting killed or it was jilted lovers or it was, you know, and this was a person who was insane and that's why he was killing people, which on its own is a new terrifying thought for the American public, you know? Um, And so I do feel like that's what makes it feel more like a movie that we would have today because it does have that element to it. For sure. Was my feelings about that
1: cool i don't like the way you're looking at me oh no i'm sorry
0: <laughs> um but yeah like i don't know what else to say i think psycho is one of the greatest movies of all time
1: yeah ignorantly not nominated for best picture
0: well and that's what's crazy. like alfred hitchcock like i was saying like the auteur theory that is pretty commonly accepted i think at this point and alfred hitchcock is probably the director whose name gets brought up the most which I, like a lot when talking sure. about yeah, theory. I mean,
1: he's the one of the prime examples yes when it was proposed by andre Bazin. yes sorry <laughs>
0: <laughs> but um,
1: i was not asking you to apologize i think you did a really great job
0: but i just think it's great so here's this director that i think everyone agrees is one of the best film directors of all time yeah never won a uh, directing oscar he was nominated five times for best director he was mm-hmm. nominated this year for best director did not I mean, win
1: but then, you know... I mean, I don't want to go against what our whole podcast is, but sometimes a nomination is a lot of gratitude. You know what I mean?
0: Well, I don't think so for him. First of all, he was a dick. Like, people should just know that up front. He wasn't, like, the and that nicest That might be a person.
1: reason why. You know I, I mean? think that
0: might have been part of it. I think also his... Because he was working in um, genres that they didn't respect as much. He didn't get as much credit for what he did. Yeah. Um, But he... <laughs> So later on in life, like after his career, he got an honorary Oscar, and he went up, and he just walked over the microphone and said, "Thank you," and then walked off the stage.
1: Seriously? <laughs> yeah. Oh, he didn't care.
0: Well, a lot of people in rumors like, yeah, he was pissed that they were giving him this like honorary Oscar, but they'd never given him a real one. For
1: sure, because what does it mean at that point? Right?
0: He was just like, yeah, thanks yeah. for recognizing that I was fucking important.
1: <laughs> like, for sure.
0: Um. Do you wanna? No, I'm good. Psycho. No. No. Okay. Well, it's got a Rotten Tomato audience score of ninety four percent and a critic score of ninety seven percent.
1: Ooh, tied with Breathless.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: I know. I listen to you.
0: Well, you just need a microphone, and then you listen to me. <laughs>
1: oh, damn! That's your best joke tonight, though. <laughs> I'm glad you saved it to the end.
0: All right. Here we go. You ready for some lists? Yes. Are you trying to hurt me? Battery's gonna die. Oh, okay. Um, So on the original list of the 100 Greatest Films of All Time, it ranked, this is AFI, it ranked at number 18. On their list of the 100 Greatest Thrills, it ranked at number one. Yeah, of course. Yeah. (laughs) On their list of heroes and villains, Norman Bates was ranked as the number two villain. Um, On their list of the 100 Greatest Quotes, they got number 56 for A Boy's Best Friend is His Mother. On their list of the greatest (laughs) film scores, it ranked at number four. And on the anniversary list of the 100 greatest films of all time, it ranked at number four. So it moved up from 18 to four.
1: Wow, yeah.
0: Um, The Editors Guild named it the 12th best edited film of all time. Sight and Sound on their list of the 250 best films ranked it at number 34. And it was preserved in the National Film Registry in 1992. Very cool. And at the box office, it made $15 million. That is... $592.6 with inflation. Wow. And so it's the 153rd highest grossing film of all time adjusted for inflation.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. So
0: with the supplemental films in mind... Yes. Do you still agree with the Best Picture winner?
1: No. Wait. Yes. 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 I do. I do. I do. I didn't
0: prepare for this question. I
1: know. I think the apartment... (laughs) encapsu Oh shit that's really hard. Breathless I think is the more important movie but I think The Apartment encapsulates this time in America in Hollywood cuz I'm not looking at this just as like the best year. It is Hollywood sure. we're still talking about here for the most part. Yes. And so I I'm just a slightly more leaning towards The Apartment. But however, if, like we don't look at cinema as a whole Breathless was more important than either of those movies.
0: I would say agree. I agree. In my opinion. Breathless is probably... Mm, yeah, I don't know. I think Breathless and Psycho are both pretty important. Um, and honestly, if I had to take all of that in consideration and taking into consideration what movies had the biggest impact on film in general, I would probably say I think Psycho should have won Best Picture. Fair enough. hmm So that's it. That's the podcast. Bye. No, I'm just kidding. Um... So we came in listening to the best song winner, Never on a Sunday, from the film. Never on a Sunday. <laughs> and uh, let's, you know, go out listening to it too. What the hey? Why? I don't know. We
1: I don't know p- songs from nineteen sixty. We can't play Psycho soundtrack?
0: Sure, we'll play the Psycho soundtrack. Jesus dad. That's not a song. This was your best song. It's not best want, score. It didn't hit. even Where win best out. score.
1: Fair. You know what? It'll be a surprise. It Who might be it might be Weird Al to. Yankovic. I don't know.
0: <laughs> let's not do that. All right. All right. So uh, join us next week for a more Oscar talk. Say goodbye to people. Bye. Bye. <laughs>